This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our scripture that was previously read came from Psalm 14, a psalm of David. And reading from the first through the seventh verses again, we find these words recorded. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his captive people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. In many ways, we have become a generation that only want to do what seems right in our own eyes. And the things that are right in our own eyes seem to be whatever we think is good for us and what works for us, no matter what that may mean to someone else. Yes, we are so preoccupied with ourselves and our own desires that the only thing that is wrong in the world are the things that affect us personally. Mm. Right is anything that benefits me in some way, and wrong is anything that affects me in a negative way. Mm. In fact, we are so selfish and narcissistic that we lack any self-awareness that would allow us to be willing to make sacrifices for the benefit of others. Come on, preacher. Recently, as I was driving down the highway, someone was attempting to merge into my lane in order to get onto the Sprainbrook Parkway. The person had made several attempts to merge into the lane, but as they tried to merge, every person was speeding up, not allowing this person to come in until they eventually got to me. When the person got to me, I slowed down and allowed them to merge into the lane. But no sooner had that happened than another person came along and was trying to merge into the lane as well. And everybody kept speeding up because they wouldn't let the person in. Sadly, that car eventually got to the person that I had just let in. And that person also sped up. So I slowed down again and allowed the person to merge in. When I let the second person in ahead of me, the cars behind me, started honking their horns really, really loud. And I wondered, 
in my mind in that moment. If that person honking at me never needed someone to show them courtesy when they needed help for where they wanted to go. As this example illustrates, in many ways, we become a generation of people who may know the right thing to do, yet only recognize it when it directly affects us. So today, I want to talk about us, you and me in the body of Christ, and why this attitude is such a big problem for us as we walk this Christian journey. And to do so, I will speak a message I've titled, The Righteous Generation. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have come now to the preaching hour. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to give you our prayers, and we thank you, Lord, that we've been able to give you our songs. We've even thanking you, Lord, for being able to give you our tears. And now, Father, speak back to us. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon this preacher. And give me the words, Lord, and use my words and my heart, that I may be an instrument of your grace to this, your waiting people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is easy for people who confess faith in Jesus Christ to look at other people and criticize them for being immoral while being immoral themselves. The Bible has a word for that. It is easy for people who consider themselves to be Christians to look at other people and criticize them for being worldly while being worldly themselves. The Bible has a word for that. It is easy for people who consider themselves to be God-fearing to look at other people and criticize them for being wicked while being wicked themselves. The Bible has a word for that. And it is easy for people who consider themselves to be good people to look at other people and condemn them to hell, not realizing that they too may be hell-bound themselves. The Bible has a word for that. In fact, it is easy to look at other people and to judge them, all the while thinking nothing of ourselves when we do the exact same things. And of yes, the Bible has a word for that. And the word that the Bible has for that is hypocrite. But while that is a close definition, there is another word that the Bible actually uses for someone like that. That is, someone who is unaware of the good that is around them, but still engages in a form of self-sabotage. And that word is fool. Now, according to the online dictionary, it defines fool as a silly or stupid person. The dictionary. Or as a person who lacks judgment or sense. Now, now I struggled with accepting this definition because if this is the true meaning of a fool, I have a hard time reconciling this with the opening verse of the 14th Psalm. Here's what I mean. The psalmist, which happens to be David, says this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt 
They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Now, now let's substitute for a moment the dictionary's definition of fool and again read the text. This is what the text would say. The silly or stupid person has said in his heart, there is no God. Or the person who lacks judgment or sense has said in his heart, there is no God. So if someone says in their heart, there is no God, are we to infer that God considers such people silly and stupid? God forbid. If someone says in their heart that there is no God, are we to understand that God considers such a person lacking in judgment and sense? I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. So what I'm suggesting to you, church, is that I believe that the dictionary's definition and our common understanding of what a fool is is very different from what the Bible means when it says and when God says what a fool is. And we can know this by establishing the context. Stay with me. Because the psalm opens with such a declarative statement of David's fundamental belief that a fool is someone who says in his heart there is no God, it is easy to then think that David is talking about people who we call atheists. That is, people who do not believe in the existence of God. But I believe David had a very specific idea in mind when he uses the term fool. I believe David uses the term fool not to mean someone that does not believe that God exists, but instead someone who fails to recognize the good deeds of God and endangers their own lives. Here's what I mean. There's a story, a very interesting story found in 1 Samuel and the 25th chapter. When you get a chance, read it. In that chapter, David was in the wilderness and he had heard of a man by the name of Nabal who had a crew of shepherds and they were tending sheep. So David sent 10 of his men to go talk to Nabal and to wish him a long life and good health to both him and his household and to everything that was his. David further sent to Nabal to let him know that while his men were with him, meaning David, David did not mistreat them and he did nothing bad to them. And as a matter of fact, nothing of theirs was missing. So David respectfully asks for Nabal to be favorable towards his men and to reciprocate by giving his men a blessing. Are you still with me? But Nabal, in response, said, huh, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? When word got back to David, he became furious. And David, David scrambled about 400 of his men with their weapons and armor to make war with Nabal. But as fate would have it, one of Nabal's servants or shepherds told Nabal's wife, Abigail, about the good treatment that they had gotten from David and for her to talk to Nabal because disaster was about to strike. And, and especially since everybody knows that Nabal was such a wicked person that no one could talk to. Are you still tracking with me in the story? Well, 
Abigail acted quickly and went out to meet David with gifts and she did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. Now let me read from the text to show you why I'm sharing this story with you from 1 Samuel. Reading from verse 23. Here's what it says. Listen carefully, church. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. She's talking about her husband. He is just like his name. Let me stop there for a moment. Let me read that again. Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. David then blessed Abigail for her good judgment and accepted from her hand what she had brought to him. The next morning, Abigail told Nabal all that had happened, and his heart failed him. And he became like a stone, and ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he was dead. The Bible often uses names of people to describe their character. And as Abigail stated in the text, the name Nabal means fool. But really, what was it that made Nabal a fool? Was it that he was a silly or stupid person, the way the dictionary describes it? Perhaps, but that's not the what the text suggests. Was it that he was a person who lacks judgment or sense, as a dictionary would tell us? Perhaps, but that's not what the text suggests. As a matter of fact, what the text suggests is that Nabal failed to recognize the good deeds that David had done for him in protecting his men and his livelihood. And by failing to recognize, this ended up placing him and his life and his entire household and his entire everyone around him in mortal danger. It therefore stands to reason that the fool that David is talking about in the 14th Psalm is anyone who denies God's rule in their life and in the life of society in which they live and as a result refuses to admit that they are accountable to the sovereign God of the universe for who he is and for what he has done. That is a fool. The fool is one who says in his heart, I can make it on my own. The fool is the one that says in his heart, I made it on my own. I got this far all by myself. I didn't need anybody. I did this all by myself. Brothers and sisters, you're a fool. Amen. The fool is the one, in the words of Frank Sinatra, who said what? I did it my way. You are a fool. So David says a fool is anyone who says in his heart there is no God. I did this all by myself. Also in a similar way 
The Apostle Paul in Romans, the first chapter and the 21st to the 22nd verse, uses the term foolish this way. Listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Not my words. So now, understanding the biblical meaning of the term fool, let's now turn to our text in the 14th Psalm to see what we can learn, how all of this applies to your life and mine, especially as people who claim to be Christians. Psalms, the 14th chapter, the first to the third verse. Let me read it again. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The psalm is making it very clear that to deny the goodness of God in our lives leads to corruption and the committing of abominable deeds, the working of wickedness and the taking for granted the provisions of God. Furthermore, the consequences of this denial is that our society has become so corrupt and vile that there is not even one person who does anything that is good. Brothers and sisters, that should break all of our hearts. God is saying there's not even one. Because we have said in our hearts in different ways, there is no God. The fool ignores any evidence that might point to God and is not so much that they don't believe in God, but they act and make decisions as if God doesn't exist. You know these people. Their whole lives are lived apart from the reality of God. And every decision they make is based upon their knowledge, completely ignoring the knowledge of God. And the effect of this is that people live in their own strength and completely disregard the amazing grace of God. Yeah. The fool then, who might even be an intelligent person, is anyone who rejects God and rejects his covenant. Not if you are a silly or a stupid person or someone who lacks judgment and common sense, but anyone who rejects God and his covenant. And to even participate in the corruption in society, even if you claim to be a Bible-believing, God-fearing, card-carrying Christian, you are still a fool. For fools are even those who claim to be Christians, but do not allow the word of God to produce fruit in their lives. And even if you think about yourselves and the way that you conduct your lives today, God is saying that your denial of him and the goodness that he provides makes you vile and corrupt, and for that you are a fool. Brothers and sisters, the atheist is not the problem. Sure, the atheist is foolish, yes. but I'm more concerned with the Christian who should know better. Yes, sir. 
Can you see that to claim to know God and yet still live as if God cannot work all things together for the good in your life makes you rather foolish? <laughs> and yes, I just called you a fool. For the truth is, in our society today, Christianity is often looked at upon as nothing more than a cultural reality to which everyone pays lip service, but yet remain quite irrelevant in our everyday lives. People may go to church, attend prayer calls and weekly morning meditations, fast during annual fasting season, but outside of those times, their actions show more faith in the society and in the government than in God. Yes, as Christians, we have no problem acknowledging that God is Lord. We can sing in the church. We can do all of that in the church. But we do not allow him to affect and participate in the ruminations of our own lives and in the lives of others. As a result, our society is full of corruption, oppression, racism, and all other kinds of isms that you can name. Sure, the atheist is foolish, but in many ways... We are worse than them because we know God, but yet still live as if God cannot work all things together for the good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose. And sadly, brothers and sisters, I'm telling it like it is. This makes us bigger fools. But there's good news. There's good news, Reverend Nefty. Come on, Peter. There's good news. You want to hear the good news? After all of that, I know I yelled at you. And I know I felt, you felt like I called you fools. Well. But remember, I wasn't talking to just you. I was talking to me as well. But there are times in my life when I forget the goodness of God. Well. And I slip into those moments where I lean onto my own understanding and my own strength. But God says, in all thy ways, yes, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what God says. He will be a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my pathway. That's what God says. If only we could trust and believe. So sometimes we need God, if we're honest, and say to God, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. So here's the good news. But before I give you the good news, you got to read the text one more time. We're going to pick it up at verse 3. Right, Sister Precious? Verse 3, right? Hear me now, Reverend Brown, senior. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great dread, for God is with the righteous generation. Somehow, with all the corruption in society, the tone of the psalm changes. In the midst of all that is corrupt and vile, God recognizes that there is still a people nestled in the middle of all of this who are still trying to do the right things even though it is hard. For there are those who are persecuting God's people foolishly without realizing that God is in the midst of them. And when that happens, here's the really good news. God then sends us an Abigail. 
<laughs> God then sends us an Abigail. <laughs> you see, like Abigail, who goes out on behalf of Nabal, the fool, Jesus goes out before us, the fools. And Jesus pleads with the righteous judge who brings with him the sword of justice to pass judgment on all who would deny his covenant. But the righteous judge will not relent and the fool Nabal must be judged. But Jesus takes his place. That's good news, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you caught it. You see, Jesus took on our foolishness. And paid the ultimate price by dying on a cross, innocently taking your place and mine. Jesus is the one who keeps letting you merge into his lane. Even after you've been blocked out time and time and time and time again by the enemy of our souls. Are you tracking with me? Jesus says to the believer, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But when Christ is ignored... And locked out of our hearts. Then his life giving joy. And the wisdom and the godliness. That he brings is no longer present in our lives. And we become like walking sepulchers. Dried up and decayed. But for those who would believe on his name. And in his finished work. Then you become who David calls the righteous generation. The righteous generation are the ones who recognize that God is and that their very survival depends on him and him alone. They recognize their need for God, not being ignorant of the truth or opposing the wisdom of God. The righteous generation are the ones who cannot deny that God exists and have not rejected God's revelation of himself in his word and in his creation. So, as I close, while the fool says in his heart, there is no God, we know that God has clearly revealed himself from the stars above, even to our own human consciousness, and that Jesus Christ is God's only appointed means of salvation and the only true measure of God's love and of God's grace. And as the psalm concludes, and when the Lord restores his captive people, Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. May the Lord richly Richly bless you, my beloved. <laughs>